This episode of Radio Vet Nurse was proudly brought to you by Zilkeen. Radio Vet Nurse, the podcast with your host, Kat Robinson. You're listening to Radio Vet Nurse, the podcast for vet nurses where we tell our story. I'm your host, Kat Robinson. Vet nursing can be a tough gig, and yet we absolutely love it. So when it comes to vet nurses, who are we? How do we achieve greatness? How do we cope with the more challenging parts of our job? Radio Vet Nurse is our way to start a dialogue around these questions and to create a space where we can tell our story. Each episode, you'll hear from a different vet nurse about their personal experiences in life and in vet nursing. In this episode, I caught up with, by popular demand, Julie Harris. With over 20 years of experience in the veterinary industry, Julie's now the Chief People Officer for Vet Partners. If you're a practice manager or a senior vet nurse working in a leadership position, or if this is something you aspire to, then this is the episode for you. In addition to her clinical background, Julie also has an MBA and a ton of experience helping people and developing processes. As well as leading her own team, she helps vets and nurses in leadership and management roles at over 100 practices across Australia and New Zealand. Julie's full of insights on quality process improvement, workplace culture, the link between customer centricity and great patient outcomes, and how finding our tribe is essential to our survival as vet nurses. I love Julie's spirit of collaboration and community, and even though it challenges me on some levels as a business owner, I think she's completely right. I really enjoyed sharing some of Julie's wisdom and a good laugh or two along the way. I think you will too. Hi, Julie. Welcome to Radio Vet Nurse. Hi, Kat. Thank you very much. It's exciting. I'm super excited. I'm super excited too. Um, now, do you are you a fan of podcasts? Do you listen to any at the moment? Uh, sometimes. It just depends a little bit. I think sometimes on my headspace for learning, yeah, uh, I go up and down with podcasts, and I'm I'm a kinesthetic learner, so mm-hmm. I don't always do well with my listening. Yeah, <laughs> so is kinesthetic I, the doing one? No, I'm a doing, I'm a yeah. doing person. So yeah, I like to listen to podcasts in the car because I'm actually doing something while I'm while yes. I'm listening. So yeah, yeah, and I, I'll fluctuate anything from you know TED talks to other kind of. I guess a lot of management and leadership talks, mm. um, kind of inspirational talks as well. Car is also my um, my favourite place to listen to podcasts and I'm a bit the same. Sometimes I just want to deep dive into something and learn all about it, but other times I'm like, oh, what true crime trash can I listen to? <laughs> I know, <laughs> I, I get distracted, distracted yeah. by something shiny instead of something serious. You know? That's it, just total entertainment. Yep, exactly. <laughs> Now, where are you from and where do you currently live? So, I currently live in Adelaide. I was brought up in Adelaide and, yeah, so I'm from here and I live here. So um, Excellent. Mm. And you are uh, you were on my radar to interview because of a couple of other guests from Adelaide, um, Joe Hatcher and also um, Natalie from the Australian College of Vet yeah. Nursing because in when I asked Natalie the final question of who's a mentor you would reach out to, she um, just sang your praises and said you were just her bright, shiny cheer squad. Yeah. Um, and then Joe Hatcher messaged me after that saying, yes, you need to interview Julie. And so here we are. I was like, who is this Julie? We need I to get know. her on the show. I know. I, I um, 
when I heard that podcast from Nat, you know, I was just listening to it. I didn't know what was coming and, <laughs> and I got to the end of it and I was driving, listening to the podcast and I started crying. Oh. You know, I've known Nat for quite a long time and, yeah. you know, and I've known Joe for a really long time as well and yeah. Joe's a few years <clears throat> younger than me. But, um, <laughs> yeah, you know, we've kind of gone through those circles together. There's a few of us in Adelaide that have kind of been in that space, kind of that VNCA space over time. Um, Tracy Hunt's been another one. There's been a few of us and I think it's it's almost like the girl squad or my my tribe of people um, that we've been around, some of us for a few years and some of us for, you know, 20 years. But that tribe of people in Adelaide is pretty strong, you know, when we're when we're not having a great day, there's normally someone we can ring to talk to in in the veterinary world. So, And I really yeah. like hearing that from you guys because, I mean, we'll hear more about your background in a minute, but it's easy to think that you've all come from working together in a clinic, yeah. um, but you haven't. You've just met each other along the way through, you know, through involvement with the BNCA or um, conferences or seminars or, or whatever have you. And I think that's really nice when we can sort of set aside our differences and say, well, you work at this practice and I work at this practice and maybe we're competing for clients, but that doesn't mean that we can't collaborate and support each other. And I think the, the, the kind of that tribe mentality of, of women that I have around me, um, I'm trying to think, I think I've worked with one of my 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 tribe yeah. um, <laughs> at some point in time. But even with the, the differences in clinics and where we've worked and different roles, I don't know that, I mean, the others would have to speak for themselves, but I don't ever think we ever thought about it in a competition, like a clinic competition way. And I don't think That's we nice. ever had that outlook it was more about the profession or supporting each other um I can't ever remember their feeling that you know you, you're the competition I, I don't yeah. know that this group of, of women that are around <laughs> that we we know um have ever felt that way but maybe yeah. they they did they felt differently to me um but yeah we've been really lucky with this group of this group of people that we've we've been around and I think there's a few of us that have been around for a fairly long time so we we tend to grab new ones and bring them in and and hold them when we need to (laughs) we know um, where you live you can't leave (laughs) (laughs) you may never leave Adelaide oh I love it now um you've been in the industry for 20 plus years so can you let us know how you got your foot in the door with vet nursing when it all began I was thinking about this and I used to get a little bit embarrassed about this, but the the true story is is that I remember there was a note up at my high school um, for a kennel hand position. Um, they were interviewing for two people at a local vet clinic, and I just needed some cash, so I went and applied <laughs> for the job. Little did I know that I wouldn't get paid that much, but. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and I, I think the reason I, I sometimes feel a little embarrassed about this is when I hear so many other nurses and they felt like they had a calling to be a veterinary nurse yeah, and that was their lifelong goal and they always loved animals and all those things, it really wasn't the reason for me starting vet nursing. Yeah. Uh, it yeah. was really because there was a job and I got got an interview and got the job. So, um, so yeah, my first job was kind of kennel hand after school through year 11 and 12. So I used to go, I think it was like Tuesdays and Thursdays and Saturday mornings and yep. just do the cleaning and um, general kind of kennel hand duties. And um, and how did your career progress from there? 
So I kind of stayed there for a few years while I was finishing high school and then I went, started my, I did full-time animal management, um, which has a really old certificate. None of you probably mm-hmm. even know what that is anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, I just went from clinic to clinic until I found the one that really, you know, met my values and I think I was treated well. You know, for yep. the first few bosses I had certainly wasn't treated well. So, yep. um, but it didn't stop me. I kept kept going until I found kind of my last two places of employment. They were lovely bosses, you know, good standards of care and just nice people. So, Oh, that's great. Mm. And at what point did you do your – so you've got here a Master's in Business Administration and HR. Yeah. Um, and you also had your own consultancy, Aspire High, as well. Yeah. So how did – at what point did in your career did those things come up? So I think my last boss um, I worked for for seven years and um, he was actually really great boss. Um, he was a very encouraging boss and as far as giving veterinary nurses the chance to be veterinary nurses, so skill set wise, so doing, you know, just IVs and just, just being a real nurse and he was yep. upskilling us. Mm-hmm. But it, that kind of kept me satisfied for about a year and then just wasn't getting what I needed. I was the the practice manager so I was doing rosters and reminders but just wasn't wasn't enough and he sent me on a grad cert of management um mm-hmm. so I did that for about a year and a half and once I finished that I decided I'd do my MBA I was paying awesome. for that for myself so I was working two veterinary nurse jobs and I was teaching out at TAFE as well oh, um, to try and pay for my MBA and it just it just got all too much I just couldn't afford to do it and work 60 yeah. hours a week so I went and got a job with Fort Dodge um, which was a manufacturer vaccine manufacturer and oh, they were the original manufacturer of ProHearts mm-hmm. uh, ProHearts so I used to yeah I was a sales rep for a couple of years kind of went through those space, those kind of places for a little while wholesaling and, and manufacturing and then mm-hmm. I decided to have a small human I thought oh, what's the <laughs> thing I can do now I'm going to have a, have a baby and at the same time, so I can take control of my own life, I'll start my own management consulting business. Yeah. Because so, <laughs> um, so, that'll yeah. be really easy. Oh, that was, you know, super simple with a baby. <laughs> it would be great. Yeah. Um, so I had a network of people that used to hire me in a consultancy way for in Adelaide. Yeah. And I also looked after people in WA, um, Victoria and New South Wales. Uh, mm-hmm. And I did that for a few years. So... Um, and it was great, kind of, yeah, could kind of manage having a baby and a child and yeah. my workload, and it certainly suited me, and I could still stay in the veterinary industry, because every now and then I'm like, that's it, I'm out, it's <laughs> driving me crazy, but I just, I just love it, and I can't, yeah. I can't seem to go anywhere else, um, so yeah, yeah did, it was good at the time, I, I just struggled a little bit with the, um, I was always overbooked, worried I wasn't going to get more work. Yeah. Um, but the reality was I always got work, which was yeah. silly. But in, in the end, when I was kind of working full time, yeah, it was just getting harder and harder. And it wasn't, it wasn't scalable because the whole business was just about me. You, um, yeah. So, yeah, so I went back and worked for Bowringer for a little bit, managing some of their reps. Mm-hmm. And then um, Vet Partners approached me and, yeah, now I work for Vet Partners. Which uh, leads nicely into where you currently work and mm. can you describe your role and what you do from day to day? So my my official title is Chief People Officer. Yep. 
So I report to the CEO um, and I look after the recruitment, HR, payroll and L&D functions for VET partners. Um, so I've got a team that work I work with and we look after those areas of the business. There's about 2,000 employees now within VET partners. Um, so it's a really large organisation. <laughs> yeah. um, so my day-to-day, probably about 50% of my day is spent in L&D. Um, the learning and development side for VET Partners is a relatively new department. Yeah. Um, and because of our decentralised model, so with VET Partners, um, every clinic can make their own choices. So they have their own CE, their own CPD, they can do what they like. Mm-hmm. Um, but we still try to create efficiency and, and cost savings for training for people in our, in our businesses. So yeah. trying to develop those processes at the moment is taking up a fair chunk of my time with the L&D team. Um, yeah. And then the other areas day-to-day would be working with um, the recruitment team, helping them in that recruitment space. We're certainly... Um, struggling with our veterinarians at the moment you know yeah. that vet- veterinary space is really challenging for everyone yeah um, no, I hear you yeah and then HR and payroll as well just you know mainly process and uh, process improvement yep. um, the teams are really senior and know what they're doing they just you know sometimes I'm just there to I don't know talk to them and motivate and engage people really so yeah and when you talk about um 2000 employees for anyone that's not heard of vet partners Mm. so it's basically it's actually a younger business than i realized when i was doing a bit of stalking today yeah so vet partners um buys uh, in some capacity like either in a partnership capacity or in a full capacity existing um veterinary practices and uh, and basically work um then with the employees to to help run the business they run the business the way that they want to and the way that they always have but you guys basically um provide functions like the payroll and finance it all those things you're mentioning so the 2000 employees is that the employees within the businesses that are now owned in some capacity by vet partners yes that's right so some of those employees so you're right we've got um over australia new zealand there's about 127 clinics Um, some clinics we might 100% own some might be more of a joint venture practice where the original owners still own the majority of the practice or a share of that practice Um, the model we really focus on this join us stay you mentality so what that means is you know as a practice if you're a practice in Queensland and you need to you've got your own favorite tick parasite prevention or a standard of care something that's right for you in your area you choose to do what you want whereas someone in Tasmania um, will choose what they they want to do everyone can choose their own pricing you know they're, they're really we don't step in too heavily um, we're really there to support in the the more administration tasks so we have yeah. marketing recruitment payroll HR um, you know all of those those functions AP finance those those things um, yeah. for the clinics but they still make their own clinical decisions out in practice I think for me um, it is a really young company so it's only I think we've just hit three years yeah um, so we've had it was really fast growth in in the company so That's going great. from kind of 30 odd clinics to 127 clinics in a couple of years um, has been exciting but there's also yep. a lot of process that we need to sort out and mm. I love that stuff though I love I love that kind of quality 
process improvement and having yep. a real drive. Um, we have a servant leadership model um, within Vet Partners. So every decision we make has to be about our customer. Yep. And at the end of the day, if we help our customer, that's going to make great patient outcomes. Yeah. So we talk a lot about that in support office, um, what our culture is and how we view what we do every day should be making having a meaningful impact on people out in clinic. Yeah. Um, sometimes we don't always get it right, but that's that's our aim. Yeah. Yeah. We had uh, our our practice manager went to um, the veterinary business group conference a couple of years back, and one of the things she brought back from that was at our staff meeting to have a like a, an empty chair there, which is the client in the mm. chair so that everything that we're discussing like this didn't work how could we work this better we have to consider like the client is there listening and like we're catering to their needs as well because sometimes it's tempting just to think how would it be easiest for us but you really have to have that outcome in mind of well, what's what's best for the client though too yeah and it's sometimes it's a challenge you know sometimes we're really easy within support office for us to think about efficiency rather yeah. than what's right for for our people out out in clinic yeah um, so yeah luckily there's a few of us that have worked enough in clinic we're like no no no, no. <laughs> <laughs> so um but you know they're really good people and they've got kind hearts and um yeah. don't know i think that it gives me enough diversity in my role that no day is the same it's never the same because i am definitely yeah, a little bit of a once i get bored i'm kind of I'll, I'll look for the next challenge yeah. um, and just that that helping people and, and developing process and I don't know just knowing that uh, we, we can sometimes impart knowledge to at practice level to help especially in the L&D side where I work a little bit more so that's um, learning and development yeah learning and development so so an example of that this week I was with um 15 practice managers from around the country that vet partners practice managers yep. we do like a four-day workshop and it's just creating community and letting them talk to each other and share ideas and share stories and for me it's sometimes telling them or telling them what I can to maybe make their journey a little easier you know yeah. my leadership and management journey was difficult I didn't always have a great coach or a mentor or someone to train me yeah so I just love that idea of if I can make their journey a little easier um, especially around managing people yeah um, yeah that's that's what I like to see and and creating that community of people at the end of the week they can then have create their own little tribe Uh, I wonder if that's I try to almost give them what I have yeah, my tribe of people, like yeah. trying to give, create them a little tribe, um, yeah, of, or a community that they can reach out to, because yep. you can't always speak to the owner of the business about how you feel. You know, you yeah. need someone that understands your role and who you are and where you've come from. So yeah, and I, yeah. I I like that that support is being offered to practice managers who are so frequently vet nurses who. Um, uh, just go up through through the ranks within mm. the practice and eventually become practice manager, but. 
Um, usually they're people who've, as we said before, who've wanted to work with animals forever and their first part-time job was probably working with animals. They're not people whose part-time job might have been, you know, working in an office helping with admin or, um, you know, working in a, a fast food restaurant managing people and learning how to manage people. So um, I think sometimes we really put these nurses out of their comfort zone and just think, oh, this is the next logical career step for you. Can't you do this? But um, it's such a different and unique skill set. So I think support for those vet nurses is really important, the practice yeah. manager vet nurses. Definitely. And it's it's hard to flick that switch from, you know, and sometimes we do put people in that role when we shouldn't as well, you know. Totally. Because um, yep. if they're so engaged and they love the technical aspect of nursing, yeah. um, we shouldn't assume that that's the only place for them to go. Let's give people more development in the areas they absolutely love rather yeah. than putting them in a role where they have to do administration and sit in front of a computer. Definitely. And if they really love active nursing, then, um, you know, it's so important for to have these experienced active nurses training the baby nurses. So, yeah. you know, great for them to be out on the floor. Sounds like you're doing a lot of different things, a lot of things that I do. But like I said to you when we spoke uh, the other day, it's like you're doing my job on steroids just yep. because there's so many <laughs> practices. But what's the best part of your job to you? I think I really... I like working with my the people team, so my the, the recruitment L and D, HR and payroll team. I really love working with those guys. Yeah, um, they're engaged and they're passionate about the veterinary industry. And most of the people in my team haven't actually come from the veterinary industry. And I think there's some passion from these guys that you, you kind of assume that it only comes from within the industry, but it mm. doesn't. Mm. And I've got these people that absolutely care about what they do and providing good service um, for, our, for our clinics. But at the end of the day, I, I do really like supporting our clinics whether it's someone ringing me and asking me how could we how could I do values in my practice this is the issue I'm having today or I'm overwhelmed what should I do I don't know whatever it is that's the bits I really love having an impact for people that is hope, hopefully meaningful for them yeah. <laughs> which sounds like what you do within your tribe too just based yep. on what both Joe and Nat have said to me about um, just being able to ring you if something's going on and having you just help sort of analyze the situation and how can we make the most of it and what are the positives and um and that sounds like exactly what you're describing that you're doing for practices so definitely yeah. playing to to one of your natural strengths I would guess I think that's what it's about in the end is is finding where your natural strength is and then you'll enjoy and be engaged in your work a lot yeah. more fully you know if you think about when I started veterinary nursing and I didn't really do veterinary nursing because I loved animals you know I've kind of fell into yeah. the job a little bit yeah. and I, lo- I always liked the technical aspect of it for quite a few years um, but probably the last seven or eight years of nursing it really was about the people yeah. and learning how to do that better um, mm. I still remember going to my first Sue Crampton course <laughs> and I reckon it must have been in the 90s maybe <laughs> until Sue but um and she did a talk on policy and procedure and I still remember where it was and where I was sitting and listening to her yeah. and just being inspired to be able to go back and be a better manager not probably yeah. a leader at that point just just organize policies you know yeah um you know, and I think having those few people in our industry that drive us, but finding what you love and then being okay with that. It's okay yeah. to be a veterinary nurse that has maybe moved away from the animal side of it. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, when I talk about myself, I quite often still view myself in a veterinary nurse way, I think. That was the majority of my career and that's yeah. where my, my base comes from. Um, yeah. But I love people. I love helping people. So Yeah. Um, and this is, I think, a, a message I, I'm trying to get out, I guess, through the podcast. Just one of the many messages is um, that there are there are places for you to take your career that might um, that might be better for you at a certain stage in your life, whether it's to do with financial security or the physicality of the job. Like you said, you needed to be working less for better pay do- yeah. while doing your MBA. And you can take side steps and forward yeah. steps and diagonal steps and you, you're still drawing on your vet nursing background. You're still a vet nurse. You're just um, naturally sort of progressing to, to a different space in your career. And I had the exact experience with my first Sue Cramp and presentation as well because uh and I, I kind of fell into the industry as well you know I always um, loved animals and I did my year 10 work experience at the local zoo but I just never thought that would be my career I went into law I was very organized I loved people and then uh in my first um my first conference that Sue spoke at, she just broke down how to make a, a nursing care plan for a patient. And I just thought, God, she's just making it so logical. And so, um, you know, I can see exactly what the goal is. I can see how we achieve this outcome. I can get buy-in from my team because she's just presenting it so beautifully. And then I can then I can hand this information back to the client and make them feel happy about the experience their pets had, even if it's been traumatic on the whole, they can at least be reassured. So I think it is nice to have those people within the industry that you you naturally go, yes, this is someone that I um, am really picking up what they're putting down. And for someone, it might be someone who's talking about anesthesia or somebody who's talking about, you know, other uh, clinical skills. But for other people like us, it might be, yeah, I totally know how I'm going to manage this aspect of the practice now. Yeah, exactly. And when you reflect on your role in a practice, quite often, even if you've got an amazing owner of a business or veterinarian um, working with you, they can't always talk to your story so yeah they might provide you with great support or a course or whatever but it's having those people that that you can identify with and they speak your they speak your language you know so yeah um that's why sometimes pushing yourself to go go to some conferences and go to some courses and Mm. those things is really important so that you can push your boundaries a little bit but find that those people that are going to help you get there I mean I remember in my must have been in my 30s I think and I was I was kind of tired of veterinary nursing and hadn't really done any extra study other than a lot of nursing courses and every time I tried to apply for a job I'm like I don't quite have the skill set and I Mm. I almost felt like a little jaded I'm like I've got all this training and knowledge no one's going to hire me right and Mm. then I was a bit well kind of lost for a little while maybe a year or so and then I suddenly realized well if I want to change and get out of clinic out of, out of clinic working I'm going to have to invest in my education so mm. that's kind of I think sometimes we can sit and wonder and not sure where we need to go and my advice to people is normally just start something just start some kind of training something yeah. uh, it might not be where you end up but just start something 
So yeah, <laughs> take the bull by the horns. Yeah, you just if you sit there, nothing's going to change. So yeah. Now, what's your routine when you wake up in the morning, Julie? How do you set yourself up for a winning day? Um, well, I fluctuate with the exercise thing. Mm, yep. Sometimes <laughs> I know I feel better when I exercise and I'm definitely better at exercising in the morning, but sometimes um, I travel a fair amount so that yep. can um, put that out a little bit. The main thing I, I remember reading a little while ago, it's probably popped up on Facebook 50 billion times, but I always make my bed. Yes. So I always make my bed. I remember reading it and someone said to said to me or it was on Facebook or something, you know, yep. make your bed and if nothing else, it'll make you feel like you've achieved one thing for the day. Yeah. Um, and it's just nice to come home and you look in your room and it's, I don't know, bed's made. Mm-hmm. It's nice to fall asleep in and it does feel, it's a, it's a weird thing. I, I kind of started doing it and now... I love it. Like I make my bed in the morning. I'm like, right, okay, all sorted, ready to go. Um, And I do, for the most part, try to eat healthy, except for the hot cross buns, Kat. I spoke to you about that before. I love them. Me too. We did um, discuss our mutual love of hot cross buns. (laughs) Hot cross buns are a weekend food. So you normally have a banana smoothie, oat banana smoothie. Yeah, perfect. perfect. Yeah, I'm not – I used to be very routine – very routine driven in the mornings but I've had to change that a little bit and allow myself to let that go just with having you know a child and traveling for work you can set yourself up for failure if you're too too strong in that space you have to be a little bit forgiving so I tend to say for exercise for example one exercise four times a week and I Mm -hmm. don't dictate you know I don't try to set that around my travel I'll set that for when I'm home yeah, and it does change when you've got kids too. Like sometimes I'll just park the car as far from the supermarket as I can, <laughs> carry my toddler there and be like, there's my exercise. I've got four steps in, great. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, you know, I try to be fit and healthy. But um, the main thing I do in the morning is is make my room, tidy my room and the bed's done. And that makes me feel good. I'm so glad you mentioned that because I – didn't make my bed for years, probably from when I left home until about three years ago. And I listened to a podcast called Happier by Gretchen Rubin. And she gives you little life hacks on this makes you happier in your life. And one of them that I listened to was make your bed every day. And she said exactly that, that it will give you a sense of achievement really early in the morning. Um, Mm. You feel like then you can go and tackle the day because look what I've already done. And I thought, no, that couldn't work. But I started making the bed every morning. I didn't mention it to my husband, but I felt better instantly and I felt better in the morning when I looked at it. I felt better when I came home from work. I felt better when I was about to go to bed. And then a couple of months in, he said to me, he started making the bed too, sometimes before me. And he he said, I'm really happy with the bed being made. I just feel so much better in my life. I don't know what it is. It does. It's definitely something. So for you guys listening, that's right. You're feeling a little bit of out of control, or Mm -hmm. I don't know. You've just got some some things going on. No matter what's going on, you can make your bed. And where I walk down my house, I walk straight past the door. You know, first thing I look at is is in the bedroom, and it just makes me happy when I see it. I don't know. Yeah. I'm not really a fluffy kind of person, but 
Yeah. Yep. Make your bed, team. It's That's really it. good. You, you, your mum was right. Make your bed. <laughs> Silly mum. How could she be right, you know? So. <laughs> oh, that's a brilliant, brilliant morning hack that I forgot that I even did. But, yeah, make mm. your bed. And otherwise, what weekly or daily habit, aside from bed making, makes your life better? Um, I do a lot of mountain biking. Yep. So, um, yeah, I love mountain biking. It It's... I cannot think about anything else, otherwise I'll hit a tree. So <laughs> I have to, <laughs> I have to be present in that moment, yeah. and I can't be distracted by life or work or. Yeah. But one of the other things is I tend to now use. Uh, I don't use checklists. I've I've just stopped. It's oh. just. I just don't do it because I I can't achieve a checklist. So right. I use a I use a thing called red boost it's just an app like a yep. time management app or project management app yep. and i can set dates of things that need to happen but i can also change those dates so that my life's a bit more fluid because yep. my role's so big now my priorities can change in a heartbeat yeah um so yeah i've tended to get away with i just don't i don't use like written down checklists anymore they just send me too many messages of yeah not of done not not doing things um did you say red boost is the app? red red booth yeah. booth booth yeah and so when you app. were using checklists were you using the checklists on your phone oh no, no i mean sometimes i would paper. use them like written down or yeah, yeah. like my outlook lists or whatever and yeah. what i would do is i'd find myself looking at the list maybe rewriting the list reorganizing yeah. the list and i'd yeah. spend two hours looking at the list when I could have actually been doing work yeah Um, so you know or changing the list to write things on there that I did the day before just so I could tick them off to say that I did them so um there was something weird going on in that whole space ringing true for me I'm gonna have to look at red booth stop it stop it um you know we can get I think sometimes time management is great and checklists may work for some people depending on how many things are on that list yeah but yeah, I've definitely changed the way I work a little bit in that I block off administration time. I have all my all my meetings are pre-prepared quite a long way in advance. Um, meetings with my team, you know, daily meetings, weekly meetings, monthly yep. meetings, mm-hmm. and they are all planned out. And then I can fit my administration time. It's really about managing my calendar to make Deadlines. sure I can get those tasks done. Yeah, it's you know, I, sitting there and looking at a checklist for two hours is not going to help you achieve the <laughs> checklist. So um, I know. So stop it. That's it's a little bit Monty Python, isn't it? The checklist yeah. for the checklist, and yeah, and then you rewrite the checklist the next day, and then maybe get a highlighter. Make it pretty. Start yeah. again. That one's messy. Do a new yeah. checklist. They, we, we do, right? It's weird. Yes. So it's, it's a weird human thing that we're trying to sometimes keep control of stuff that's almost feeling a little out of control. You know? Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I think we do become really overwhelmed in clinic. I used to do it a lot more at clinic level. You know, I'd yeah. have my, my to-do checklist and I'd write 50 things on there, you know, like reminders, you know, rosters, yeah. so-and-so's payroll, client complaint. Yeah. Do, 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 and I just, you know, I just write this big list of maybe 20 or 30 things that I had to do in four hours. And yeah. You, you, know, you look at it and you become so overwhelmed with that list and you might, yeah. you might be the only one in the practice that can do it. It's all very well saying, oh, well, what can you delegate? But yeah. sometimes you look out at the out at the – out the back, you know, and all your nurses are being slammed with surgery or hospital. Yeah. The vets are just keeping it together and there is no one else. And you, you look at that list and 
Yeah. You know, it can feel really overwhelming. And so, you know, just change my brain slowly over time to be more considerate and really think about what's on that list, what's urgent versus yeah. what's important. Yeah. Really make sure you're planning your time for strategy, development, team building, you know, all of those things out in practice mm. um, so that you just work on the urgent components of that checklist and then timeline everything else out. Um, otherwise, it just makes you feel like you've got to get it all done on that day. Especially in clinic when your day can just totally go out the window like yeah. when I was working up until I had my son I was working about six days a week for five five or more years and I was trying to do payroll HR rosters reminders all of that while working be it mm. so I sort of did 50% of my shifts in active nursing and 50% of my shifts out the front doing sort of reception and or floating around so trying to get things done at work was just terrible and I would almost be doing a, a you know, a less than optimal job of both things I was trying to do, like trying to get the surgery ready. Oh, but I'll just quickly shoot off these couple of bills. And so since having my son, it's been great because now I do all of those things at home, all of the practice management things I do from home. Our practice manager is actually on maternity leave. So I'm doing all those things again. And when I work my one or two shifts a week, I, I'm just there and I'm present and I'm working and I'm just being a vet nurse. I'm not trying to, to manage the practice or do any of those administrative things too so I think for people that are trying to get the checklist done in clinical time as we know you can just get one crazy case or one difficult client or one person who you know they they keep dropping out or they keep changing their instructions and they're ringing back and forth and that can just gobble up hours yeah and I think there's the pressure over the last few years things like the pet just the simple things like the pet insurance forms then the yeah. vet pay then yeah. you know like a customer service questionnaire like you just add adding more tasks onto our veterinary nursing day yeah and then the pms are then trying to do this other stuff so i talk quite a lot about this with the with the practice managers i i do honestly think sometimes we're our own worst enemy as well if you if you are lucky enough to work in a practice and they've dedicated two or three hours to you or whatever that that time is for you to get some tasks done I I watch those practice managers and I see them as as soon as that phone rings three times they answer it Mm. rather than just leaving it and letting the team get it yeah that's Um, it you know they hit that two o'clock I still have it now even when I'm not even in practice anymore but the two o'clock bit where you look out the back the drapes aren't done the kits aren't packed uh, the the surfaces aren't cleaned and you just feel that need you think I'll just go to the toilet and you get up and then you're out there helping them yeah helping the team do stuff but the reality is they probably were going to get it done so They'll that get there. I don't know yeah. if that's a guilt thing or there's I think there's different reasons some of us do it a bit of controlling sometimes we're our own worst enemy we have to be okay with that when it's not if they're a full team the day's okay they're just busy when yep. you're on holidays, they do it. When you're not That's in the clinic, it. they do it. So That's it. allow yourself the time um, to do that. And what I normally say to people if they're feeling guilty in that space is when you're doing your morning huddle, you should all be doing morning huddles. Yep. When they're doing a little bit of clinical stuff or just a, what's happening at the front, that's your chance to say, hey, guys, I've got three hours on admin today. Mm. I'm actually going to be working on rosters, pays and the contract for the new nurse. I would really love it if you guys could just let me do that for a couple of hours. Just mm. give me the time to do that and then I I'm can not come here. out and help. And if you don't tell the team what you're doing, they just assume you're just doing 
emails with. They don't really know what you're doing. So no. talk to them and explain it to them. Yeah, instead of getting that, oh, could you wear the FPOS paper rolls? You know, like you, you gotta <laughs> you gotta push back a bit sometimes, guys. I know that's not all the time, yeah. but sometimes we are our own worst enemy in that space as well. So. Yeah, and you can enable the people around you too by saying, like, act as though I'm not here for three hours, and they can yeah. tr- discover for themselves where the FPOS rolls are and go, hey, you learn something new yeah. every day. I know, I know. <laughs> They've only been in the same place for seven years, but that's, that's okay. It. You know, we want to be approachable and we want to be helpful. Yeah. And so I think there's always this tug internally for us yeah. um, to, to get up and help, especially if you've come from nursing. What's interesting, the practice managers that haven't come from nursing, they just get on and do the job. Yep. They might go buy coffees mm. for people yep. or yeah, true. <laughs> a cake if everyone's true. feeling crazy or yeah. whatever that might be. Yeah. Um, maybe answer the occasional phone, but most of the time the reception team are like, get off, don't answer our phones, <laughs> please leave us. That's um, totally true. Our practice manager is from a human dental background and she, you know, she never gets anxious about the building up of drapes or anything out the back because um, she doesn't know. And so she'll just be like, everything okay? Everyone all good? <laughs> and they'll be like, yeah, and great. If- and she'll be like, good, awesome. And just goes and smashes her list and gets it all done. Yeah, that's right. So maybe just contemplate that. My lovely nurse PMs, I know it's hard. Yeah, it is hard, um, yeah. But just just think where, where you could hold yourself a little more accountable in that space sometimes yeah, and too. and communicate um, with your team. Mm. Now, Julie, do you have any strange habits or superstitions? Well, maybe you should ask my tribe. They'd probably tell you. Yeah, well, I, I already know that you share my strange habit of, well, it's not a strange habit, but, you know, really being excited about the hot cross buns being out straight after Christmas. I, I love them. <laughs> like they're all the people that say, why are they here? Don't have hot cross buns. It's too early. I'm like, what is wrong with you all? Yeah. This is perfect opportunity. We can eat hot cross buns for for a quarter of yes. the year. I'm like, are you serious? Where did you see them? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to go. <laughs> I know. Um, I'm not really superstitious. Um strange habits I think I am really an optimist that's good certainly um, maybe to a fault sometimes yeah. you know you know I've read a thing the other day I can't remember where I read it and it was just sometimes acknowledging people's having a hard day yeah. rather than me trying to be the eternal optimist yes. it'll be alright yay team go yep. team go yep. um, so it's the kind of the yin and the yang of me sometimes that acknowledgement of someone having a hard day or that was actually really terrible. I'm sorry sorry you had that experience rather than me always trying to problem solve or find a solution or be optimistic. Yeah, Yeah, my husband's an eternal optimist and sometimes I'm like, can we just acknowledge that this was terrible? (laughs) Because he'll be like, well, at least this isn't happening. I know. I'm definitely like that. I think, yeah, you know, over the last 12 months, um, you know, kind of had a a lot of medical things going on and I you know I'm like well at least I've got my feet I just come (laughs) up with something and I think well at least this hasn't happened or this hasn't you know yeah Uh, so I think I am kind of pretty resilient and eternal optimist and with that comes the yang of that you know I sometimes have to acknowledge that something is a bit terrible Mm. for someone sometimes and um, I also with the resilience comes stubbornness so I'm I don't often ask for help. Yeah. Um, so I have to be mindful of, of that about me as well. That's why you need your tribe because they'll, you know, reach out to you and tell you, hey, you they need do. to talk to don't me about worry. this. 
<laughs> I say, Julie, you got to calm it down. I'm like, oh, thanks, thanks. I needed that. Thanks. <laughs> well, they just don't ask me if I want help. They just give it to me because they know I struggle. Yeah. With the actual words, yeah. so um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I need My a tribe. tribe. I guess Radio Vet yeah. is 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 its own tribe. I hope but it is. It's the starting of your tribe, yeah. right? Yeah, that's it. You know, we we need that tribe. I. I really like this idea of, of women in leadership, um, you know, women in roles. Mm. I know we've got some some of our lovely male veterinary nurses as well. Mm. So yeah. it's not just about – I like women in leadership, but I think that kind of veterinary industry tribe. Yeah, for sure, um, for sure. We, we really need that and we need that connection. And I think that would go a long way to address some of the mental health um, kind of overwhelmed people in our practices mm. – if we just stop being so such singular clinics mm-hmm. um, and not worrying so much about whether someone up the road is charging five dollars more or five dollars less or, or whatever it is, but just remembering their people as well, yeah, and it's okay for them to have a different business. But how could we create those tribes of people? And you, you do see the younger veterinarians do it. Mm. So when they come out of uni, um, our young associates tend to have a little tribe around mm. them. But as those people spread out and and go to different clinics across Australia or the world, they may lose those connections. Yeah. So I think it's so important. For, for me and my role now um, to work on creating those connections for all the vet partners clinics mm, mm-hmm. and even the non-vet partners clinics I'm pretty happy to speak to anyone but uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, we need that in our industry we need to start start those conversations yeah I agree and I think it can be uh, it can be difficult I think for nurses in clinic if the practice down the road um, and your practice, maybe the owners or the vets don't get along or there is that competition element and you're the person having to ring up and chase that history and you might feel awkward doing that. And um, But I yeah. think it's important to know you can still have that vet nurse that you're asking about the history from in your tribe. You can still support each other and, and be mates. It's really easy. It's much easier when I, if I ever had to ring Joe or someone yeah. and say, hey, yeah. it's me, can I get a history? <laughs> yeah, oh, my God. What what did we do wrong? I don't know. I don't think you did anything. They moved. Okay. Yeah. yeah so, yeah. Um, I don't know. It's, it's sometimes it can be easier once you start reaching out. And, and I think the VNCA is a, is a good space for that. Totally. Um, it's a good non-threatening space for veterinary nurses mm. to meet each other. And that's essentially how Joe and Tracy and Nat and all of us met over the years is just going to those different um, seminars and trainings because you can bond e- easily with someone mm. on a clinical or medical training. You don't mm. have to talk about the practice. Yeah. You don't have to talk about different standards of care. Yeah. It's purely about animals and, and, and creating those bonds. That's it. Um, so I think you just got to start somewhere, guys. Go out and join one of your associations. Try to go to a, a seminar here or there. Absolutely. And reach out and don't don't be worried. You know, I've I've in my role in manufacturing and wholesaling when I was out on the road, I used to look after practices like South Australia, Northern Territory, Western Victoria. And I'm telling you now, you know, when you have that clinic, you've got this perception of you as your clinic, but the clinic down the road are trying their best as well. Yeah. 
those nurses mm-hmm. are doing this, the best they can do as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. And you might think you get a few histories from them, but I bet you they get a few histories from you yeah, as well. Yeah, and a few clients <laughs> that just say, no, don't, I don't ask for the history. I don't want them to know I'm coming. No, There's that some that's that just right. quietly move around. And I think it's also really important to protect the integrity of the profession as a whole. As soon as I get a client mm-hmm. that comes in and says, oh, I don't want to go to such and such vets anymore because they did this and this happened and that. And I always say oh, I'm sure it it was a really complex situation and that they did their best. I know they have a really great team down there and they're lovely people and I try to just knock it on the head um, because it's really really unprofessional to engage with that and if it's somebody who's going to say that about the vet down the road, they're probably going to say it eventually about you too. Um, Perhaps it reflects more that they didn't fully appreciate everything that was happening in the treatment of their pet. Yeah, we, we all know we've had those cases in our own clinics where we know we've communicated as best we can yeah. and it still didn't quite go right. Yeah. So just assume yes. that the guys down the road are trying to do the best job they can as well. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, you know, just just start creating your own tribe, I think, is the is the message and have some understanding yeah. uh, and just reach out to different people. So. I like that message. Now, whether mm. in your day-to-day work now or when you were um, in practice, can you think of a purchase made by you or your employer that positively impacted your vet nurse life? I was watching your thing the other day on the esophageal yeah. scope. <laughs> I remember when they first came out. So this was a long time before, you know, fancy monitoring equipment like I remember we just had an app alert and that was pretty much it right (laughs) so you had to do everything else anesthetic monitoring um there's no such thing as a pulse ox well there was but it was probably like forty thousand dollars or something um so I remember getting the stethoscope and it was a it was a game changer for for all the nurses and it just made you feel like you're doing something technical it was really it's a weird weird piece of equipment you can't really get it too wrong you've just got to make sure you measure and lube it up and and have someone train you but it was a really big really big game changer I think um you know I finished vet nursing 10 years ago but I I still remember getting my first stethoscope um and just what that meant to me Mm. as a nurse symbolic Um, and yeah, it's just I kind of moved. There was that bit boss I told you that was really engaged in upskilling, upskilling the veterinary nurses. Yeah. So we were doing our veterinary nursing to the highest standard, yeah. and I just remember just that real feeling of of pride mm. and moving from. I always did feel like a bit of a glorified cleaner, <laughs> you know, with a few skills, yeah. um, and was never really treated in a professional way, yeah. and. That stethoscope kind of made me hold my head a little high yeah. um, and change my mindset. And I, I know that sounds strange, but I think out in practice, maybe have a think about that. Yeah, if you don't um, have one, put it on your Christmas list with your family or mention to your yeah. boss that perhaps this could make good presents for when people have been at work or in their job for a year or two years. Because yeah. I totally agree. Matt gave me one when we first opened and it has my name engraved on it and it's hanging up above my desk right now and it, it just it, it meant so much and it made me feel really confident and it made me feel like particularly if um, because we only had one vet at that point if Matt was in surgery and you know somebody came in with a collapsed tick patient I would know I could go and assess and examine that patient even though Matt was scrubbed in and then 
you know, just open the surgery door and say, you know, this is what's happening. And, you know, he could say, okay, this is what you should tell them. I'll be out of mm-hmm. surgery in 20 minutes. And, and I could go and have some concrete information that, you know, I've gathered, give it to the vet, give it back to the client. And I feel like clients looked at me and went, oh, she knows what she's doing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's a bit symbolic and it's a little bit of pride. Yeah. And I think it makes you hold yourself to a higher standard. It's, it's a funny symbol, the stethoscope. Mm. And I don't think we always – it's got quite a lot of power in it. So for those of you guys who are, you know, able to, yeah, ask for that Christmas present and get a lovely Lippmann one yeah, or whatever, yeah. you know, see what you can do or create an incentive around the practice or, yeah. um, you know, maybe for every level four nurse or someone who's done a course, maybe they could get one. I don't know, mm. but there is something about it and it's it's perception, it's how you feel – um, but it's also about having pride that we're veterinary nurses yes. and we are able to do these things Yes, um, with, with good training, coaching and mentoring. Yes, so, we're not just glorified cleaners, we're medical yeah, professionals. Yeah, and I think I did feel like that for quite a long time, yeah. you know, receptionist or cleaner, yeah. you know, and, and hold this animal, do this, do yeah. that, but not really a great technical nurse until my last my last boss. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I, 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 when I saw that question that you thought you might ask, I, I can think of lots of things that have changed over the time and lots of bits of equipment, but that one really stuck in my mind as something that really meant something to me. Yeah, I think that's a great um, one. And and the um, as you saw on social media, the esophageal stethoscope has just gone <laughs> nuts too. Everyone's like, I know, love and them, they're cheap, love right? Them. They're really cheap. They are- yep, really cheap. And when Joe Hatcher so suggested it, I was like, what? I've, I've never heard of, of using that but um and I yeah. saw other people tagging in their their own bosses within clinic and the bosses yeah. writing back to them saying oh they're not really that common in GP practice but sure we could have one but other people were writing back going well they are common in GP practice because I've had one at every practice and so there was lots of variation in how yeah. how many people knew what they were or had used them so um I think mm. if you haven't got one look into it and yeah if you don't have a stethoscope look into that too and just before we have a quick break can you tell me about a time when you were able to turn defeat into victory this could be in a personal or professional capacity i don't like the word defeat i'm sorry <laughs> i've never had a defeat what are you talking about yeah i that is almost how i view that question yeah. like my brain is not sometimes like others i um i remember doing a, a profile on myself once and it's kind of like will manipulate data to <laughs> to get the outcome they want yeah. something it was something along those lines yeah. and that is a little bit me yeah. so um you know I, I think I spoke to you before I found out I had breast cancer yeah a little while ago and although I maybe took maybe a week to get over it mm-hmm. and then I just talked about chemo it was just a cocktail of drugs mm-hmm. just a cocktail of drugs so I could get some new boobs yeah. that's all it was <laughs> I just changed the wording yeah. and I just keep using it until I've talked myself into yeah. it. So I really don't like that word defeat. You know, I, I may, have, may have had that feeling for a couple of moments, yeah. but I think that eternal optimist in me quickly does something in my mind. Yeah. Um, doesn't mean I don't have hard days yeah. or don't have a cry every now and then yeah. or think, man, this is a terrible day yeah. or <laughs> whatever, but I kind of wipe it out. I pretend like plan I never have plan B ever (laughs) so I just have a new plan A yeah yeah so I have plan A if plan A doesn't work I don't call the next step plan B yeah 
I just, I honestly, my brain just goes, I actually almost might have some learnings from that. Yeah. But I will pretend like that never happened and I create the new plan so A. See, like, it's not that plan A didn't <laughs> work. It just morphed into a slightly different plan A. That's right. It just never existed sometimes. <laughs> I do. I do think it is really important the way we phrase things. And you can, you can talk about things that are happening in a way that does make you feel out of control or does make you feel um, like a victim or really unlucky. And I think it's so important, particularly with um, with a medical diagnosis like like breast cancer, to be able to be empowered and to to phrase things um, in a way that you do feel in control. Because we do know it makes um, it makes such an impact on people's treatment, whether they feel positive, um, you know, and whether they have that fighting spirit. So I really commend you um, for, for for everything that you've gone through this year, and um, and that you've just come out on top with Plan A completed. Have the cocktail correct, of drugs, plan a. get the new boobs. Well, that's nearly correct. completed. That's exactly how it is. Yeah. That's exactly how it is, Kat. So I know not everyone's like that, but yeah, that's my brain. Yeah. Welcome to my world. It's not. It's a bit crazy. I think it's it's a it's a mindset we can all aspire to. So yeah. All right then. Well, Julie, are you good if we take a quick break and come right back? That'd be great. Awesome. Support for Radio Vet Nurse comes from Zilkeen. It's a supplement for cats and dogs that can help with stressful or unpredictable situations. You know the ones, thunderstorms, travel, multi-cat households, all those triggers. Zilkeen contains alpha-cazozapine to help keep the animal calm. It's the same molecule that helps keep newborns calm after breastfeeding. It's palatable and easy to give. I mix it into my dog's food. Some behavioural issues are severe and Zilkeen probably won't help these, but it works well for many pets in stressful situations. Worth a try right welcome back julie what advice would you give to someone about to enter the world of vet nursing well that's a very good one i think take some time to look after yourself and find find your tribe find some good coaches and mentors and that might not always just be people in your practice Mm -hmm. um and remember that you cannot know everything in day one you just can't not even in day 100 not even in day 2000, no. I'm still learning things. So um, veterinary nursing has the highest of highs and sometimes the lowest of lows, yeah. but those lowest of lows can also be amazing experiences. Mm. You know, that, that those euthanasias, if, if you can get your head in the right space, can be a really amazing service you can, mm. you can provide. Mm. Um, but just give yourself a break. Yeah. Even just learning... The 26 different types of parasite control <laughs> is going to take time. So. so much to know. That's so true. And what advice would you give to a student vet nurse struggling with their studies? Um, so, I mean, study is the foundation of, of what you have to have. And so you can sit there and, and think, why do I have to do this WHS? Oh, this mm. is, you know, why do I have to write this? Why do I have to do that? And I know it can sometimes feel tedious or not necessarily connected um, with you know answering the phone or, or or being in surgery but they give us the foundations of our knowledge they give us the cement underneath that helps us make decisions when we get once we get to practice yep. um, and you're just gonna have to suck it up and do it <laughs> I don't know that there's any other way of saying yeah. it um, if you're struggling with study you know I, I'm like the pot calling the kettle black I am a leave it to the last minute and work best under pressure kind of person. Um, so but for others, 
that may not be the right way. So Yeah, that's right. And I think with the distractions of students today, it's just so much more difficult. Like you've got your phone dinging saying someone liked your Facebook post or whatever. Like that just wasn't an issue for me when I first um did well, my first university degree like I if I had to go on the world wide web to do some research I was a bit like oh am I doing it am I surfing the net where's my information <laughs> yeah. it was so different and I mean I, I wasn't that swayed when I did my next degree either but certainly I think when I was doing my vet nursing cert four, I was running the Facebook page for ready vet as well and oh what's mm. so-and-so had for dinner like you just gotta stop looking at that you're stuff just, you're accountable for that space yeah. so um I'm a kinesthetic. I think learning your, your, your learning styles, understanding your learning yeah. styles is really important. Mm. So I am a kinesthetic learner. So unfortunately, it drives people crazy, but I, I will study best probably sitting in front of the TV with the washing machine going <laughs> or something like that. So I get up probably every 10 minutes yep. and do something. Like if you put me in a room for too long, I, I will just... I just won't do great work and I'll just start distracting myself. So I do kind of 10 minute chunks and I I will do them in a, in an area. Like I don't have a study away from everyone Mm. because I just, I can't do it. So, um, but I'm still very dedicated to learning in that space. So that 10 or 15 minute block where I'm really into it, I do not get up. I do not check my phone. I do not check my emails. Um, I just, just do the study. So I think learning what works best for you, you know, if you, if you were in a house or an environment, which is really difficult, go to the local library and study there, like Mm -hmm. go to a friend's place, whatever that might be, Mm -hmm. that's going to stop you from being distracted Mm -hmm. um, or provide you the best learning environment. If you're really auditory person maybe a nice quiet library or go to the local uni or TAFE Mm. um, and just because sometimes when you're out of the house uh, it's easier as well I know as a mum it's very easy to go I'll just just do a load of washing I'll just do the dishes and I'll just (laughs) yeah my grouch Um, is never cleaner than when I've got work to do I'll just get the toothbrush and do the grout libraries are great places to study too because you are surrounded by other people who are studying so you don't feel like why is everyone else in the world out having fun and I'm studying you actually like that one studying (laughs) that one studying I used to go to um the Melbourne the the library in the in the city in Melbourne um because I, I was studying at RMIT and I just loved it because you had to check your bag in out the front just get the few books that you wanted and your water bottle or whatever it was and then go in and sit at a big beautiful old timber table and beautiful lamps and these the smell of books everywhere and I didn't have anything to distract me I didn't have my bathroom to clean I didn't have my phone (laughs) people all around me studying and I just spent hours there I say that but I I decided the other day while I was you know trying to do some stuff I got up and went out and clipped my dog you know (laughs) so I just looked at him and thought you look really hairy and uncomfortable I'll just quickly give you a clip of you (laughs) so I still do it I know it's a bit pot calling the kettle black but when I was studying, I, I used to do the same thing. I used to make it a bit of an experience too. I remember I used to go to this little coffee shop yes. and get myself yep. like a special coffee yep. and I'd walk in and I'd feel all special yes. with my laptop and my coffee totally. and my textbooks. And I don't know. I just um, If it's not working for you, change it yeah. up. But 
the end of the team, end of the day, there's not not much I can say other than you are accountable to do it yourself. Yeah. But find a way that engages and motivates you to stay focused. Totally. Um, and I mean, everything yeah. comes back to the podcasts with me. But I did hear a podcast years ago on I think stuff you should know, and they spoke about the kind of procrastination that you're describing that you do, mm. and they actually said that um, procrastination and leaving things to the last minute when they look at people who have contributed, um, you know, Nobel Prize winning scientific discoveries or, you know, inventions or whatever in the world, a lot of them describe themselves as procrastinators and people who leave it to the last minute. And they actually decided that putting the, the task or what you're learning on almost the back burner in your brain can actually do wonders because you're still thinking about it. Even though you're clipping the dog and you're totally focused on something else, your brain's still mulling it over. And then when you go mm. back to it, you go pow and, and your brain is like, oh, I totally get this now because I was just secretly thinking about it. Yeah, I was watching a, um, a little video for it's a, it's an Australian downhiller, mountain bike downhiller, Tracy Hanna. And she's done a few TED Talks on writing and motivation, but she did one the other day about writing. And her thing was, if you sing when you ride, it does something to your subliminal mind and you stop worrying about crashing and you just ride better. <laughs> and I wonder if clipping the dog is a bit what you're saying, mm. you know, like the other day, even though I had to get up and clip the dog, mm. you know, I probably was thinking about what I need to do mm-hmm. and how I was going to have that conversation or, or whatever it yep. is. So um, it's okay to get up every now and then and exactly go do something else but just accept that if that's your style it might be for a very good reason yeah but don't don't whinge about doing whs you're just gonna have to do it suck it up it's dry it's dry get it over with (laughs) but we all want to keep our fingers so it's important yeah yeah exactly now are there any bad or old recommendations that you hear as a vet nurse whether from colleagues clients um anyone that you think should be replaced with more useful or modern information I think this probably comes down to training and coaching and development of our of our nurses and reception team and even veterinarians. This idea of of um, customer centricity mm-hmm. in practice, mm-hmm. you know, I think for the most part, you know, most clinics are trying to do the best they can, the standard of care they believe in. You know, you don't. I don't see as many, you know, truly horrific things going on in practice that I did many moons ago. Mm-hmm. But where I get really disappointed is on our lack of customer centricity. Yeah. The things I hear, like the amount of waiting rooms I've sat in and the things I've heard make me embarrassed mm. sometimes. Mm. Um, the junior nurse on the desk who it's not her fault but has been given no training mm-hmm. on what to say, how to say it, wrong recommendations, mm. you know, completely wrong vaccine. I used to have a, quite a strong vaccine background because of the companies I worked in and just 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 saying the complete wrong things you know Um, and it comes down to a culture of someone's not spending the right amount of time in coaching and developing our team procedures training you know all of those things and we could just be doing so much better for our customers which then have a better patient outcome Mm. Um, and I think we tend to put the least um, trained and the least knowledgeable and this is a mass generalization but i i think we tend to to put the least trained um or knowledgeable vet nurse on reception um it's almost uh, in a lot of cases a little jumping off point which is great but 
um, if they don't know how to explain the Wasava vaccination guidelines or whatever protocol your practice follows when the client rings and says, I've got a new puppy, I just want to budget out what, what it will cost. And if they give totally conflicting information to what the vet gives, that straight away you've started um, you've started off on the wrong foot with that client. And um, I think a lot of the more qualified vet nurses, it is great having them with the patients and doing um, the, the, the more clinical work. But it is also really important to have people who know their stuff out the front, dealing with the clients, um, explaining discharge information or giving the, the quote over the phone or explaining why why should this puppy come in and have a parvo vaccination? Why is that important? Explaining the, the prescription diet, that sort of thing. It is a really important position in the practice that nurse who is out the front or the receptionist who's out the front and and even if it is a a non-nurse receptionist you still can um, put in training um, and and have clear protocols that people can learn and be comfortable Mm. explaining absolutely and I see the failure I feel for those junior nurses because I have been been that person been put in that position where I'm sure I've made stuff up like I'm sure over my years between in my 20s I, I hate to think what advice I gave people. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and I wouldn't have known any better. Um, but also, too, I, I see it when what happens with, say, a senior nurse who's actually a really good technical nurse and she's pretty good on the front desk. Um, so what the clinic does is just keeps giving her reception you shifts. Yeah, you can't do that. She, they just they end up hating yep. it. They yep. just They'll go to another clinic. They'll go to another yep. clinic or they provide really bad mm-hmm. customer experience just because – they're not engaged and it's not making it's not filling their bucket yeah, right and they're not happy that's right you've got to get them helping to train um, other people yep. out the front and oversee that or say like what is the the absolute you know maximum days you would consider doing you know on a weekly basis out the front yeah. and work with that we have a a training and induction program for our junior nurses sitting out the front and we have everyone sitting out the front sort of equally and um we they do um there's like a training course and then there's five multiple choice um quizzes that they do along the way to finally be yay you, you you've graduated from from mm. this front nursing and it's funny you should say you know the wrong advice that poor old junior nurses are giving because the answer on these multiple choice or short answer questions on about 30 percent of the questions is i don't know the answer to that i'll go get a qualified vet nurse to speak to you would you mind holding so yeah if we don't put those induction and training and coaching and mentoring spaces in what happens at some clinics you know especially where there's maybe one nurse or two nurses and one vet the vet's in a consult the other nurse is busy potentially that junior nurse or that nurse is, n- is never going to stop and go ask someone because yeah. they're either too worried, too scared, yeah. wh- whatever the barrier there is, yeah. um, you know. So I think we've got a long way to go in really becoming a customer-centric industry. Absolutely. And when we talk about wanting to be able to pay nurses more and um, that's really important as a business um, as a business focused person myself and and for you no doubt you can also see Mm. that the way to pay nurses more is to grow the bottom line and the way to grow the bottom line is to have more engaged clients who are in a trusting relationship with the vets who are happy to pay for 
um, you know, gold practice, uh, gold standard um, practices to say, yes, I do want the pre-GA bloods and yes, I do want histo on that lump um, because they have been educated and they have got that trust and they've never had conflicting information. So um, it is really important for so many of, of the goals that we all want within the industry, um, you know, yeah. to, to work. The answer is the clients. That's right. And I think we put sometimes where where we fail as a as a clinic, we need to stop putting all the pressure on customer experience on reception yeah. uh, and our nurses yeah. because it's well documented about customer experience and customer journeys. Uh, it's not just solely reliant on that one person answering the phone a certain way mm. or having their uniform on. Yeah. Because that nurse could be amazing on the front desk. Yeah. But if the vet in the consult is not communicating well there's no amount of good that the nurse can do that's going to keep that client happy yeah so as a veterinary team you know vets nurses reception the look of the practice Mm. all of those things if we really want to become more customer centric we have to start viewing it as as a clinic culture and how we how we're all held accountable in customer experience it's the simple things i don't know how many car parks i've driven into and there's a big dog poo right on the front door you know it's the simple things sometimes versus the more complex things. And if we can get that balance right and, and make sure the whole business is is customer focused, yeah. um, you know, and normally, you know, if we've got a really great, happy, engaged team and a team that's got a great culture, yeah. they will naturally provide better customer service. Yeah. And the clients can pick so, up on that, that people genuinely yeah. love their job and what they're doing. and. The reception person is often the person at the pointy end of the system as well and there's Mm. no way that they can give a patient discharge, say, for a patient that's been in for day surgery that is satisfactory for the client or makes the client feel happy about handing over vast amounts of money for a dental, for example. Um, And, you know, I I don't mean an unjustifiably Mm. vast amount of money. I just mean a lot of money. It's non-government subsidised. That vet nurse is never going to come out of that situation with a happy client unless the whole team throughout the day um, has contributed to to um, what she needs to do. So you need to have had the vet communicate properly in the morning at admission or the nurse if it's a nurse admission. And then during surgery, you need the vet to be communicating a handoff to the nurse and the nurse, um, you know, the theatre nurse and the theatre nurse asking the appropriate questions that they know the client will want to know the answer to. Um, and then handing the theatre nurse handing that off to the reception team, um, making sure all of the right medications are discharged, all of the dental charts or the um, the blood results, they, they're all there ready to hand over so that instead of just standing there and the client saying, well, which teeth were extracted? And them going, oh, I, I don't know. And the vet's in consult. Um, I can ask them and ring you back. Instead of that, they can be saying, now here's the dental chart. I've highlighted teeth that were already missing, teeth that we've extracted today. You can see the remaining ones here. Here's the blood results. You know, So it takes the whole team to set that person up to, to give the absolutely. client a good experience. Yeah, absolutely. So you know, I feel for these junior nurses, but um, I think we, we just need to shift our mindset. You know, We know that both our, our nurses, our junior nurses, our receptionists and our vets, we could all be, you know, doing with a bit more pay, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, and we want successful businesses and we want to buy the new toys yeah. and we want to fix up that staff room and we want to do those things. Um, but we also need to hold ourselves accountable to, to our customer. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, and there's not necessarily an easy answer for this for, for a lot of our nurses listening. You might work in a practice that they're not ready for that journey yep. yet, but you can always hold yourself to the highest standard mm-hmm. and just think about how you talk about people and how um, you speak about your customers out the back mm-hmm. or in the hospital. Mm-hmm. You know, are you spending a lot of time talking about your customers in a in a negative way or there's a couple of those ones that you've had in practice that have been very difficult or trying or mm. whatever how, how can you shift your mindset to talk more positively and remind yourself there's some amazing customers that come in as well we can get brought down by the one or two mm. rather than thinking about the 80 percent that are really good absolutely and every week oh. there you know at our practice there's always chocolates or cookies or a card or a thank you card or yeah. something from one of those great clients which is just it almost comes at exactly the right time when you're dealing with someone that might be difficult. But like, don't you think it's right. funny, funny cat that we we remember that like on the day we're like, oh, that's lovely. We got some chocolates yeah. or we got some cake or whatever, and we move on pretty quickly from yeah. it. Well, until the chocolates are all gone. But then Mrs. Smith who came in and yelled at me, yeah. we talk about her for weeks. Yeah, that's it. So it's actually up to us. And for those of you who are, are maybe in a leadership role, whether that's a senior nurse or practice manager role perhaps that's something that you could drive in practice Mm. to to move that mindset to allow people to have time to debrief about that experience but don't stay in crisis and that space all the time yeah yeah that's it i might combine the next two questions in what ways do you look after your mental health and well-being and prevent compassion fatigue and if you ever feel overwhelmed about work or life what do you do Mm. I think for me, mountain biking, so that exercise component um, is really important. And I no longer, pretty much at five o'clock, that's it, I'm done. I'm not working. Oh, good. So whatever my my shift, when it's probably a little different when I'm in Sydney or I'm away or I'm doing training out at clinic level. Mm. Um, but, f- you know, I will pretty much, if, if I've worked, so this week I was pretty much, I left at four in the morning on Monday and I got home at seven o'clock Wednesday night mm. and it was pretty, I pretty much worked a 40 hour week in three oh days. Um, so, but then Friday I will take time and loo. I just, I just won't keep going anymore. It's just not worth, worth my health. Um, and the thing I've learned, it was probably a little different from being out at clinic, um, because I don't have a team. There's nothing really urgent that's going to happen that requires them to ring me after hours. Mm. But I set that expectation with my team. I don't want them working at five o'clock or five 30 or six o'clock. I don't want to see emails coming to me at 10 at night. Um, I really worry about others and I don't I, I uphold that same standard yep. um, I, I work hard and I make sure I work hard when I'm working yep. but um, even when I'm feeling like there's a lot of work to do you won't pretty much you won't really see me do extra work on the weekend like it is it is done because the, the thing is there's always more work to yeah, do you, that checklist yeah. never actually goes away mm. you just have to be able to manage that in your own mind yeah yeah um, yep. And I get out in clinic, there are things that have to be done on, on time, you know, pays, rosters, whatever those things are. Um, but yeah, I've just, I've learnt that that's what I need to do. And it's a so. really good practice. And we, we're we really um, strict about that at our, at our, at ReadyBet. We try and get people all out the door at five and 
it's difficult and it basically requires yeah. having one you know management or senior person in the team getting everyone to start thinking about that at four o'clock like right we're going we're finishing let's start this let's start that because otherwise it's easy to keep on just doing what you were doing whether it be getting on top of the kits or getting on top of the emails until it's five to five and then you start doing the floors and the bins and checking the windows and checking no we're checking the doors pretty much as the last job at you know five o'clock and everybody's all out the door together and for me coming from a, a legal background I it was it was a bad culture of you were expected to get there if you were paid from eight till five you know for your salary you were really expected to get there at seven and leave at seven and that was just the culture and I was so indoctrinated by that that when I moved to the job I did between being a lawyer and opening ReadyVet, which was just a, a part-time job doing accounts receivable, uh, sorry, accounts payable and answering the phone at a little uh, medical research company just to learn how to do that for ReadyVet and to have time to set up ReadyVet. And I found myself staying late, you know, I was meant to leave at five, but I'd be there till 5.30 thinking, won't the boss be proud or there till six. And one day my boss, who was the CEO, said to me, Kat, have you got a time management issue? I was like so horrified like pardon and she said well you just can't get out the door at five o'clock do you have a time management issue Um, and I was like no I just wanted to get on top of these things and she was like well you shouldn't you should be able to manage yourself out the door by five Um, and I really took that with me like god what am I doing working you know this overtime for nothing Um, I should just manage myself out the door and that requires time management ability yeah and accountability you know your own personal accountability did you get distracted and talk about married at first sight for half That's an hour right. like, yeah. <laughs> maybe talk about it for 10 minutes you know? so, um, and it's that kind of that two o'clock thing instead of maybe getting up and start trying you're trying to get people out the door yeah so what happens as a manager you get up maybe to that two o'clock or three o'clock and you can see that the team aren't going to get out on time so you start doing their jobs for them yeah. but then what happens is you don't you don't get the things you need to do so then you feel compelled to come home and work from home right so you're working at seven o'clock at night when your partner or fur babies or children or family whatever friends are then being disadvantaged because of that maybe frame it up at the two o'clock mark you're now going to do two o'clock huddles yeah okay the aim of today is to be out of the door by six o'clock yep Who's doing what? What have we got left? So your job as a leader mm. is to bring that team together so that they've got a really clear understanding of, of how to What's do that. What's the priorities? What can be left yeah. until tomorrow? Some days you cannot yeah. get everything done. No. And, you know, as a leader, you might say, that's absolutely okay. Yeah. Nurse Jenny, you don't need to do that pack. We can do that first thing in the morning. We don't have that special surgery on tomorrow yeah. or I, I don't know, whatever it is. Yeah. But they need they need sometimes help and direction to let that go as well definitely and that's kind of what I think we start doing it for like what are you doing okay stop doing that we just need to start doing this we need all hands on deck for this for 10 minutes and then you can go back to doing whatever like you just need one person with that vision of how we're going to get out the door on time get everyone together and um and make it happen and go home and live your life that's right so um if i'm overwhelmed at work i generally just talk to my boss and say hey (laughs) this is all the stuff i got on what can I drop? What can I do? Yeah. What do you want me to do? Where, where's my, the expectation? Because I can't do all of yeah. this. Where do you see the priority? So if I'm losing focus of what the priority actually is, 
Um, I will speak to him and he'll say, Julie, stop this, stop this, stop yep. this, do this, do this, do this. And then I'm like, great. Yeah. Because it gives me permission to let some of those things go. Um, what can happen when you feel like you you just have to keep doing everything and you can't tell anyone and what will they think about me yep. and I'm not getting this done. What actually happens is exactly what you think is happening. Yeah, that's right. People are like, well, why aren't you doing – you said you'd do that for me, you didn't. Yes. You said you'd have that done, you haven't. Yep. And they might not understand every task you've got going on, yep. but your your fear of letting everyone down is exactly what you're doing. Yes, that's right. So, so <laughs> what I've learned over time is if it's work-related that I'm overwhelmed with yep. – um, I will speak up a lot earlier or if I'm right on that limit of having too many tasks to do and my boss or another department or someone comes to me and says, Julie, can you do this? I'll say, I sure can, but what do you want me to stop? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I can't add this, but I can remove something I'm currently doing if we think this is this is urgent. Yeah, yeah. Um, refocusing your brain on the goal the strategic goals of your organization Mm. so Mm -hmm. coming back to to doing what you were you were doing your original checklist or goals Mm. um, because we can get very distracted in clinic so this is one of the areas even in support office I can get distracted I can look at everything in support office and think of all the things we could be doing better yep you know because that's my mind even though we're doing a good job I think oh what could we be doing better and overloading my mind and thinking rather than just going hang on Julie I'm focused on these three areas absolutely and and on the same track as um you know what you're doing with with trying to improve things and looking around at what could we be doing better what do you think is the main area of our industry that that we could be doing better or that needs attention or improvement well this is probably back to the exact point we're just talking about I've got to calm my brain down and not not think about all the things we could be doing better (laughs) Um, essentially, we've got quite a big issue with veterinary recruitment yeah. at the moment. Mm-hmm. You know, our vets are not staying and we need our lovely veterinarians. They are part of who we are and they're, they're part of a veterinary nurse being able to be a veterinary nurse, right? Mm-hmm. Without a vet, we can't have a vet mm-hmm. nurse. Um, and we really have to focus on clinic culture. Mm-hmm. Clinic culture work-life balance wellness and and how do we how do we help our people be the best they can be Mm. we want to make sure we're a good profitable business that makes good revenue we have to be focused on our customer and we're also down vets so our vets are stressed and when our vets are stressed our nurses are stressed you know how how do Mm. we think this is our number one pressing issue in our industry at the moment is how do we improve clinic culture yeah and do you see an end to the vet crisis like the the lack of retention of vets Um, like is that going to end anytime soon i don't know i mean i I think sometimes we need a crisis so that we make change you think it's stemming from culture as well just from vets saying why would i accept these um pay conditions that are worse than my teacher friend for you know this kind of pressure and culture and hours absolutely we're getting better at it some practices are better at it than others um we still have a fair bit of mind shift change in in some pra- in some practices where, well, that's the way it was. I I was able to work a sixty hour week. Why can't you? Mm. Um, mm. We have to stop that communication. But the reality is, is if we want long term change, we have to think about the cultures of our practices and how yeah. we treat people in our practices. Mm. And that's vets, nurses, support staff, kennel hands, whoever it is. They we need yeah. to have a mindset change. 
around culture and engagement and mm. how much of an effect that has on people. Yeah. Um, I think short term, what you can do if you do have a practice and you are struggling to get vets, you know, it can be anywhere from nine to 12 months at the moment to find CBD vets. Um, petrifying. Is, yeah, it's really think about uh, upskilling your veterinary nurses. Yeah. You could be doing so much more in practice with a good nursing group so your vets can be really efficient, yep. um, being amazing veterinarians and doing mm. a, an amazing job and they can just do the things they like. Yep. And yeah. finding ways to stretch our vets out I think is great and it's also a way that we can empower nurses uh, at the same time. And yep. for me, it's probably the area of our industry that I kind of think needs needs attention or improvement too. Like so often I will look at, at the website of another practice just because – we've had a client move from interstate or from down the road and, and we get a history through and I can see it's from such and such a vet and I'll Google them, I'll look at their website just to get a feel for who's doing what and what kind of practice they were and I can look at the our team section and I look at the ratio of vets to nurses and straight away I'll say, yeah, their vets have to be nursing. If that's a genuine yeah. reflection of their vet to nurse ratio, their vets are nursing and yeah. I mean, you should be freeing your vets up to be vets or, you know, if there's no yep. more vet work to do, then they can sit down and have a coffee and let the nurses do the nursing. Um, yeah, so I definitely would, that would be uh, yep. an area that I would point out too. And now we've come full circle um, because I'm going to ask you the question that I asked Nat, which um, introduced you to me mm. through her answer, which is if you could reach out and thank a mentor who's helped you in your career and personal development in the veterinary industry, who would it be and what would you say? I, I struggled with this because I wanted to talk, I want, you know, being the way I am, I wanted to give you a list of 50 people. <laughs> um, and I I guess I've got my tribe of yeah. people and, and yeah. Adelaide and I hope my tribe know who my tribe are. So, you know, there's a group of us that I've known for quite a long time and yep. through the good, the bad and the ugly. Mm-hmm. And they really helped. But if I, in particular, like if I was framing it up for my, my lovely veterinary nurses, who helped me get me where I am? And I, I really do think it was my last boss, John Carruthers. Mm-hmm. Um, he always saw um, a nurse as more than what we th- we we could see ourselves as. And yeah. I remember he, you know, training us on how to do you know, like IVs and put catheters in. And mm. I remember him getting a, a skin specialist out and teaching us how to do skin tapes and, you know, cytology. And just, he just, mm-hmm. you know, for the time, because you got to remember this was like 10 or so years ago, mm. it wasn't that many clinics doing that then. And mm-hmm. um, he also paid for me to do my grad cert in management and sent me to a course in Canberra. Um, which wow. was with a, I was the only veterinary nurse or a practice manager and the rest were veterinarians. Wow. And that really opened my mind up as well to the fact that I think I'd always created hierarchy in my mind that veterinarians wouldn't think much of me or I was less than um, mm. rather than being a colleague. Yeah. And going to that and having that experience showed me that they actually – did value me and my yep. role in the practice. Yeah. Yeah, he provided me with opportunity and I guess pushed me to be more than I thought I could be. So, I mean, I had definitely had a few bosses that didn't didn't think of us or think of me in that yeah. way. Um, so and that shapes yeah. our, our minds, um, yeah. sometimes the public perception of our role. Um, if you have a boss like that, get out, people. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. 
you know, even public <laughs> perception, sometimes at the front desk, it can wear you down a little bit, right? You know, yeah. Well, you're not the vet. Where's the can vet? Speak you know? to the vet. Yeah. Put your stethoscope on, team. That's, that's uh, it. Put and your, your little, stethoscope on and, and introduce your veterinary yourself. Nurse badge. Yeah, you know? that's right. <laughs> it's how you present yourself and say who you are yeah, and be yeah. confident. Yeah. Yeah. So just. Um, be confident but there's there's so many opportunities and it's okay not to be a vet nurse for life it is yeah yeah so there's so um, many opportunities but the reality is is that someone else isn't going to find that for you you have yeah. to take life by both hands and put some time and effort into study or finding a coach or a mentor and getting involved and finding out where you want to go so well, yeah. I think there couldn't really be much of a better point to, to finish on than that. Yeah. That's just pretty much yeah. um, sums it up perfectly, Julie. And oh, thanks, um, and as I said, you've just been a delight to speak to and you've oh, given me you. pure gold the whole interview. <laughs> well, I hope so. I don't know how much uh, people really want to hear what I've got to say, but um, I'm always here and, you know, you can always find me, you know, I'm sure you'll find me on yeah. LinkedIn or Facebook somewhere. Someone will, will know something. I will put a link to yeah. you um, yeah. in the show notes for this page, um, yeah. definitely, so that people can reach out to you if they yeah. feel like um, they need to be in your tribe. Yep. Um, come, come join the tribe <laughs> or start your own tribe. It's really exactly. important. Exactly. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining me thank today, Julie. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to Radio Vet Nurse, the podcast. To help us make more free episodes, subscribe and leave a review. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at Radio Vet Nurse or drop in at radiovetnurse.com.